0: You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for biohacking women over 50. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, digital nomad, certified sports nutrition, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan, the cookbook Eating for Longevity, and a new upcoming energy reboot program for women over 50. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcast to help others find us too. This is a really small but very critical gesture that makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for older women, help us grow stronger, get our voice out there, and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. Hello age disruptors. This is going to be a really informative podcast where Dr. Amindi and I hash out some of the confusion for fasting for women. Now, the big takeaway for me is that fasting is a powerful tool, a very powerful tool for our health. It's so powerful that it can create what seems to be miracles to reverse disease and give us some longevity superpowers, but it is also so powerful that it can do exactly the reverse and give us even more problems and put us at greater risk of disease. Part of the problem is that we simply don't have enough information and research on women and fasting. Now, pay really close attention to what Dr. Mindy says about both the benefits and the risks of fasting. Fasting is definitely not for pregnant women and anyone with eating disorders or disordered eating. If you're one of these, please, you should probably skip this podcast entirely. Now, with if you are a woman who's even remotely active, you really need to be careful with fasting. And with all the podcast interviews I've done with experts in this field, there is really um, pretty much agreement that a 12-hour fast for the general population is fine. Now, if you're considering a deeper dive into this world, I cannot stress enough how important it is to not do this on your own. There is just too much at risk. So please get guidance from your doctor, your nutritionist, or better yet from Dr. Mindy herself who understands the risks and the benefits. She has plenty of places where you can get personalized attention. And now let's start the show. Well, I am thrilled to have Dr. Mindy Pelz on the show for the second time, which rarely happens, but she is really one of my favorite guests and podcast hosts. And I know so many of you love her too. Many of you guys already know Dr. Mindy from our first podcast where we talked about her bestselling book, The Menopause Reset, which I loved, loved, loved. And it was such an easy read and what many of you told me already makes menopause understandable. And now we're going to talk about her latest book, which is coming out December 27th called Fast Like a Girl. And I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy and I now have a ton of questions about fasting for women. Now, you also probably know about Dr. Mindy, but just in case you don't, she is not only a best selling author and podcast host of the Resetter podcast, go and listen to that one right now. But she's also a great keynote speaker, a nutrition and functional medicine expert, and has spent over 20 years of her life helping thousands of people reclaim their health, particularly us women. <laughs> You guys have also got to check out Dr. Mindy's YouTube channel. She has so much free information there where she explains the latest science and research on everything related to fasting and uh, and more. But then she also gives us really practical tools that we can use. And when she first came on the show last year, she had about 250,000 subscribers there. And now she is close to 400,000 with millions and millions of views. So she's not messing around when she says she's on a mission to get a million people fasting. And she probably already needs to add an S to that and make it millions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado, meet Dr. Mindy, welcome. Oh, thank you Zora, I'm so happy to be here. This is, I love chatting with you. So thank you for having me.
0: Really grateful you're here to clear up a lot of confusion. But before we start, I first want to say happy
1: belated birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. I know I turned 53 a week ago. I, it was the first birthday that I honestly was like, my age does not match how my body, my mind, my soul feels like I don't, I, you can call me 53, but I don't look at myself that way. So <laughs> it was kind of a trippy birthday that way.
0: And it's going to keep going in more and more like that. I guarantee you, because you're taking such good care of your health and the population is changing, right? We need more examples like you to disrupt those ages stereotypes. And and that's my gerontology hat talking, so I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not going to talk more about that, but we, that's a whole other conversation. But thank you so much for, for being a good example as well for, for all of us. I want to first talk about the biggest elephant in the room and clear up a lot of confusion and that's fasting for active and athletic women in menopause, because a lot of listeners in the Hack My Age podcast here are, are women over fifty, and many yeah. of them are athletic. And they've heard me say this before, because I went through Dr. Stacy Sims'
1: uh, course called Menopause for Athletes. You know Dr. Stacy Sims, have you? I know her work. I know of her. I've actually invited her on my podcast and. She won't come. So I would love, love, love to have a discussion with her. Oh my gosh. So instead I'm going to have it through you. And (laughs) when I saw like your questions, I was like, yeah, let's go for it. Cause I have a lot to say about uh, her work for sure.
0: Oh, thank you. You know, it's a dream of mine when I'm listening to you and your podcast to say, okay, I want to have a podcast with you and Dr. Stacey Sims and and Dr. Longo as well, because that would be amazing.
1: He's another one that I have had some interesting run-ins with because his CEO was really upset that about my positioning on fast mimicking and prolon. Yeah. So it's kind of the dark side of 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 health influencing, I guess, is that there's territories to be had and sometimes people don't want to be challenged and so
0: Oh, we'll have to dig deeper into that because, you know, I, in my gerontology master's course, he was one of my professors and yeah, so his, but he has, whenever I brought up prolon, it was kind of, "Mm, I don't want to mix my professor hat and my business and things like that because he's dedicated his whole life to fasting mimicking diet. Like that's his thing. right? if anything messes with that or goes against the grain, you can see how somebody may react. That's right. But I think in all professionalism <laughs> and science is science, science evolves. I mean, I think it would be uh, very important for scientists to also recognize that the science changes and maybe maybe sometimes they're not 100% right. I don't know. Accept other
1: people's uh, challenges or perspectives. So Yeah, yeah, and we can we can dive into that. But I think for the audience to really understand is that when we see researchers like Walter Longo and Stacey Sims, like come out with here's what the research is showing us, that's only one side of the health equation. And I'm a big fan of research. I put a ton in the new book, Fast Like a Girl. There's it's all over my YouTube channel. But research gives gets us in the ballpark. Now we've got to choose what seat we're going to sit in. I find that we have to take research and then take the application of that research and look at it over a wide group of people before we make any declarations about this is good or this is bad. When it comes to health, there are no absolutes. So there's only the path for you. And on both of those researchers, I have so much admiration for them and Let's make it applicable individually to each woman. Let's not cookie cutter us into women's research is now saying this. Let's, let's really still make our, our health path unique to us.
0: Absolutely. We are the end of one experiment. The only person yeah. that matters is you. So that's always, I agree that that's the biggest problem with health research is a study comes out and then we all jump on it thinking this is gold. And sometimes when I was health coaching previous, before I was, had clients who come to me and say, oh, you know, this study shows X, Y, or Z. And, and I I really want to try it. I really think it'd be great. And it's going to solve all my problems. And I said, well, look, this study is done on 50 year old Finnish men. Now you're a 38 year old Asian woman. I mean, maybe it'll work. Maybe not. I don't know, but we can't, we can't just put all our faith in that, you
1: know? Yeah. And in the new book, I really mapped out like some of my favorite studies. And I say when they're done on mice, when they're done on mixed, to Stacy's point, we don't have a lot on women and that's, that's a problem. But I actually also think we're really hard to study because even if you took a bunch of women, let's say you take a thousand women that are, that are menstruating, You would need to put all the ones that are ovulating together in one category, all the ones that are in the week before their (laughs) period. Like you couldn't, you would have to separate us out, which is why that's, you know how expensive that would be for a study. So I actually think we're not, our expectation that we need more research on women. I don't think it's going to happen because it has to not just be women. It has to be women in the same hormonal time of life, in the same hormonal part of our cycle.
0: Yeah, that would be the ideal. But I think until we get there, let's take anything right now. Well, you know, you're right. We could like,
1: take anything. Yeah. Get
0: women as opposed to just men. Or as I understand the research most research is done on men and most research it well, now with it's required to have women involved in the studies. Good. But still so many uh, so much of the data doesn't get into the study. They leave out the data very often and which is Gosh, that's just so frustrating. So hopefully, you know, I really am advocating for more women in research studies. Of course it's gonna be expensive, but we're 50% of the population, a little bit more, right? So yeah. why aren't we included in this? And it's so important for the drugs that we come out, the, the vaccinations that are there, for the health techniques, everything. We need more, more research and, and, and somebody's gotta pay for it. <laughs> it's gotta be right. done but ideally wouldn't it be great yeah to do that study with with women cycling or any studies uh, but but then again of course women have different days of their of their cycle and yeah. some are more some are shorter i mean how do you even tackle that and then forget women in perimenopause because our cycles are all over the place right so but you know it's not an excuse we still need we need more but that's a dream. I really hope one day, uh, I can have you and Stacey Sims in the same room or somebody at least out there and talk about it. In the meantime, I'll, I'll share what I learned from her and yeah, you can answer back. And so okay. what she has done, so this, this is a great course, the menopause for athletes. And, and she defines an athlete as anyone who does planned exercise. So if you just go to a gym a couple of times a week, you're doing yeah. some planned exercise. And she strongly opposes fasting and keto diets for women, um, particularly athletic women and women going through menopause. And she says it's because the studies are done mostly on men, particularly sedentary men, and they get great results. There's stellar results. But the few studies that she's found on women uh, and the ones that she pulled out for us had negative effects. And she seems to be fine with a a 12 hour fast, but not so much more than that. And she basically says that fasting is a stress on the body, which I think you and I both agree with. Exercise is also a stress on the body. Both can be positive stressors when done appropriately, but when they're combined, it's not a great idea. And sort of that's her, her worry. And her argument is that exercise, that's her whole thing is, you know, she's, that's her whole following as well. Athletic women exercise can have the same effects as fasting. And she's worried that women who are exercising are missing out on fueling their workouts, which happens a lot. And because they're fasting too much or not eating enough, and they're putting themselves into what she calls a low energy state, just not getting enough calories. So I think her positioning, her background, her following is is these athletic women. So she's there to protect them. And, And I think she definitely has a point. Longo, he's dealing with a lot of sick people who got cancer and diabetes and, and heart disease. And so, you know, his audiences and other things, so we all have different audiences. And so I'd love to you for you to speak to my audience who, who, who tend to be uh, a little bit more athletic or women over 50 for sure. Some of them are going through menopause, perimenopause. And so what are your thoughts on on fasting for, for these age groups and, and what Dr. Stims has to say?
1: Such a good question. Again, I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you because let me simplify how we look at this. We got to go down to the sex hormone level. When we look at the sex hormones that drive men and women, they're vastly different. So men are driven by testosterone. They get testosterone every 15 minutes, comes pulsing in. Testosterone goes, goes up into the brain and converts into estrogen. So they really only have one hormonal target and all the research on fasting and testosterone shows that yes, in a man, he can fast 13 hours, raise testosterone by 1300%. He wow. can fast tw- 24 hours and raise testosterone by 2000%. Any man that's not fasting is crazy. <laughs> so I will 1000% agree with Stacy that men get incredible results with fasting And it largely because of its influence on testosterone. Now, women, we have three hormones that run us. We have estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. We don't get testosterone every 15 minutes. If you're a a cycling woman, you get it during ovulation. That's it. And we don't have any studies on what testosterone specifically and fasting for a woman, what it does. So can we increase? I've seen a few that said it takes a woman about 24 hours to get that same 1300% increase in testosterone. I have seen some evidence on that. I also have seen some clinical evidence in our online community of when women are fasting and cycling their fast the way that I recommend according to their menstrual cycle, we're seeing testosterone come up. But in the new book, you'll see that I recommend we keep fast under 15 hours um, during ovulation because we don't want to create any kind of autophagy that could have a negative effect on testosterone. So I map that all out in the book. That's what we know about testosterone. Estrogen in a woman does really well with low glucose, low insulin. So if you are a cycling woman, day one through, uh, through the, right before you ovulate, going into keto, going into fasting has been amazing. I have seen clinically, I mean, literally like to your point across millions of women, we have millions of (laughs) comments that come in every month onto my YouTube. So I feel like I've got a really good eye as to how these are working in the application. What we're seeing is when we have estrogen imbalances, things like infertility pcos uh, weight loss resistance can also be from toxic estrogen too much toxic estrogen that if we have a woman go keto and fasting in the in her follicular phase in that first part from day one to day 10 she loses weight she gets pregnant and pcos is overturned i have seen that over and over and over again so estrogen loves for insulin to be a little lower, glucose to be a little lower. You can spike cortisol with estrogen and estrogen doesn't seem to mind. Now, progesterone is 100% the opposite. You spike cortisol and progesterone gets shy. You stay too low in glucose and estrogen is going to increase your cravings. So the week before our cycle, we are actually more insulin resistant Our body wants you to bring uh, glucose up. So it gives you cravings of carbohydrates. It wants you to not have any stress because progesterone does really poorly in light of cortisol. So it makes you feel tired. It makes you feel more (laughs) inner. All the things we've experienced for so many years the week before our cycle and villainized it was actually progesterone telling you what she wanted. (laughs) It's crazy when you think about it, right?
0: Yeah. It's the body knows best. It knows exactly what it needs. We just keep shutting it down.
1: That's right. So we have these three hormones that just, we need to handle differently. On one hand, I can agree with Stacy. Cortisol is not great for progesterone. It's keeping insulin low, not great for progesterone. Estrogen doesn't really matter as much. So when she says a woman doesn't respond like that, I would agree when we're looking at progesterone and I disagree when we're looking at estrogen and you're dealing with a woman who has to take all three sex hormones into play. This is why we have to fast differently than men.
0: Okay. So later on, I want you to go through the menstrual cycle and the the three sex hormones, I see that there's so many women, including me at a time where I was only 50 and I had no idea what progesterone, estrogen, I just, you know, testosterone, I thought it was just a man's thing. So I think there's still a lot of women out there who are listening, who still, they've heard these words, they know it applies to them. This episode is sponsored by Primadine a supplement that if I had to choose only one it would pretty much be this one it's because Primadine is primadine. And this has been shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. And it's basically a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. When we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and a lot of waste, and this isn't really great for us. So we need to clean it up. So if you want some research, go to primadine.com and you can see all of it supporting cognitive health and heart health, hormone balancing, and long and strong hair, nails, and eyelashes by using spermidine. So another very important reason why I love primidine in particular so much is that I've never had received ever as much feedback about a product as I have with primidine, literally several times a week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And most of the time it's about improved sleep. So I can honestly say that I can 100% be convinced now that primidine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code ZORA, Z O R A, on primadine.com. And that's P R I M E A D I N E.com. Now, enjoy the show. You have gone through thousands of women going on their fasts. And I'm sure you've learned a lot. I'm sure there have been mistakes that have been made. I'm sure that even though there are no studies or very few studies done on women, it sounds like you've got a pretty big study going on for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so with your fasting community.
1: Huge study.
0: It's a pity that it's not like recorded in a, in a, in a scientific Good way, and just throw it at the, at the scientists and say, okay, this is what we found. Even though it's anecdotal or it's, um, it's not a, a, a formal research study, it, it is giving us a lot of information in a practical sense. And that counts, I think. So I appreciate you sharing what you found regardless of what the studies say or don't say. And so that's important. And what Dr. Sims agrees with you in that sense that your thing is fasting, her thing is exercise. So she would say when progesterone is high that week before your, your period, then that's when you want to take down your exercise. You don't want to hit it so hard. They'll say, hit it hard ovulation when testosterone is up, hit it hard the first week. So she's very much in alliance with, she's training according to your cycle and you're fasting according to your cycle. So I know that you guys would definitely agree on, on that point too. So she's very mindful of that. It's just that the, the fasting point is, is really hard for her to digest, particularly to women already. Are not fueled enough. They're an athletic community. And these are menopausal women or perimenopausal women who we've we're becoming more insulin sensitive and insulin resistant. We are uh cannot seem to be eating the same things anymore. And what do we do? We exercise more and we eat less. And for somebody who's an athletic and you're an athlete yourself, and you're if you're a tennis player, I mean you're you you've gone through it you know, it's easy to exercise. I mean, it's, it's, if you like it, you found something, your jam, then, and if if you're setting goals, you just go and you do pain, no pain. And then that can be an appetite suppressant. So you can get, if you can get into the mindset of a woman who's, you know, around perimenopause and menopausal, who wants to run a marathon, who wants to do a triathlon. I just told my friend who's a personal trainer. I was like, I've, I've never done a triathlon. I want to do it. Prepare me. Right. So get get into this mindset. And I keep thinking, gosh, you know, when I really start, I got to eat a lot, you know, I got to really make sure I feed this body because if I don't provide it, the nourishing, the nourishment, the, the nutrients, the calories, and, You know, I'm going to fail, or I won't be optimized, and I may be even hurting myself. That's where I think uh, a person who's listening, who is is an athlete or is a bit more athletic, how how do you think they need to take their their fasting? uh, You know, should they fast early, or should they alter their fasting compared relative to uh, the the general population that you're speaking to in the book?
1: In this part of the discussion, and we. I want to make sure we don't leave the perimenopause and postmenopause women out of that, out of this discussion, because the hardest thing I've had is to, we've got three groups. We've got the cycling woman, we've got the perimenopausal woman, and then we have the postmenopausal woman. So vastly different hormonal times. With the cycling woman, I, I thousand percent agree with Stacey that cardio, push your exercise in the, in the front half of your cycle. During ovulation, you've got so much testosterone, build some muscle, like go in heavy with weights and build yourself, use that testosterone, and then lean into yoga, take some recovery the week before your cycle. I don't know if you know Tony Horton from P90X. I don't know him, but
0: yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah.
1: So he and I had geeked out on this. I'm like, why do we do weekly workouts for women? Why don't we do monthly schedules for women? And he was like, he was like, I never thought about that. So anyway, so that's for the cycling woman. When we look at perimenopause and menopause, here's what we have to keep in mind, is after 40, although it's happening a little earlier, these ovaries are going into retirement. They're like, I'm backing out and the ovaries have been the primary driver of sex hormone production. So what they're gonna do throughout your 40s and your whole perimenopause and menopausal experience is they're gonna pass the baton over to your adrenal glands. So what I've noticed as an athletic 53-year-old is that the running the marathons, the top endurance events, like they are not in my biological best interest anymore. And part of that is because I need to have great adrenal function. So I need to make sure the whole HPA access is working right. If I go running into my 40s, I'm adrenal depleted and I'm now losing those sex hormones. And then I decide I'm becoming the three day water fast queen or I'm going to go do a bunch of CrossFit. This is where we see another level of tanking for women. And that doesn't work. If you're over 40, You've got to make sure your adrenals are high and functioning at their best because they've got multiple jobs now. They are making you sex hormones along with cortisol. That is a big job for that organ. To her point, that if you tap fasting on top of that and you're in extreme sports, that combination for the 45 year old adrenal fatigued woman or the 55 year old adrenal fatigued woman is not great. So let's start with this idea of let's bring back adrenal function so the, the adrenals can handle both jobs. Now, on top of that, what I want women to understand is that those three hormones all play by different rules, which is what I, where I started with this, which means the continuous fasting, the continuous keto. It's not good for any woman, but for the menopause and perimenopausal woman, she needs to make sure that she has some days where she's fasting longer, she's going keto. On those days, exercise should not be super strenuous. You can decide, like let estrogen kind of do its thing. She needs days where she is going to make sure that she's doing yoga and she's relaxing more to recovery so we can focus on progesterone. And then on that day, we want to bring in more nourishing food. But then when we've got testosterone, she needs to push that workout, work a little more with a smaller fasting window. We need to bring all the principles together to help her customize what's right for where her hormones are at. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. In your book, you you've, I love that you created this ketobiotic diet. Oh, thank you. It's not the ketogenic diet. It's your own take on it, which I think is really good. And actually- is quite in alignment with Dr. Stacy Sims, who understands we're more insulin resistant. We have, uh, you know, harder problems, you know, digesting the, the the high refined carbohydrates. We need to keep that lower. However, she's very much like we got to eat our carbs. We need our carbs, especially if you're exercising, right. We need to fuel our bodies in that sense. So she would say, you know, be mindful of those carbohydrates. Like you say, you know, lean into those potatoes and sweet potatoes and quinoa and, 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 uh, and, you know, we're not talking about potato chips here or, uh, no. That's, that's where, where she definitely, you know, she's not saying do a low carb diet, but she's just saying, choose your carbohydrates wisely and make sure you get enough of them. Now, the question then is your book is so great in the way it's so detailed in the sense that it really holds your hand on day one, you do this day two. And if you don't have a cycle, okay, you start, you know, the full moon, right. Or you start when, you know, you choose a day, right. And you still, you follow this, this 30 day, 30 day reset, let's say. So it's really great. However, what I'm wondering then if I'm during, you know, week one to, to, you know, during the, the follicular phase between day one and day 10 or 12, let's say I got my estrogen is high. I feel like smashing it at the gym. I'm, I can work out really well. However, it's also a good time to fast to lean into those two three day fasts or twenty four hour fasts. But then I get worried. Well, wait a second. If I'm maybe smashing at the gym, should I really be fasting? Do those people have a limitations? And should those people be leaning more into those uh, carbohydrates and that yeah. you would say are more reserved for during our you know that when progesterone's up when in the um, luteal phase of our of our cycle
1: here's the way that in the new book I put it. And, and actually what I love about the new book is that it is all the current research or c- current observation that we're seeing with these women across the world. And I have cycled two diets, ketobiotic. I call it ketobiotic Cause we, what I noticed in the keto movement is that everybody went low carb, which meant they left fr- fruits and vegetables out and in my ketobiotic version i not only bring fruits and vegetables back in the biotic is let's feed the your microbiome but i even increased protein a little bit more so that we make sure we're adding in protein cuz as women we need more protein and i and i feel like we should talk about that because that's a really key concept so You can do ketobiotic, let's just say for a menstruating woman, you do it from day one to day 10 of your cycle. You can do your, if you want to do the exercise, if you want to do it all during that time, that's going to be your best time to really push it, which is why I call it the power phase, because you can power up on all these tools, but then you're going to need to recover. And the recovery comes in in ovulation. So I actually have women, I started having women go into higher carb during ovulation. So I call them hormone feasting foods, where we bring in the squashes and the potatoes and we step them out of keto. Now, I will tell you that this is the hardest thing about writing a book is that I don't believe in absolutes. So I believe in women finding their own way. So let me make some nuance around ovulation. I have seen some women be able to rock keto and fasting in ovulation. And I've seen some, some women's hormones get decimated if they do keto and fasting during ovulation. So in the book, I say, you keep your fast under 15 and let's move into more high carbs. So I think that will work for most women. Then when we come out of ovulation, our hormones dip, we can go back into more keto, more fasting, push those exercises. And then the week before we go back into, I call it the nurture phase in the book that we go, we got to nurture ourselves. Don't push exercise, eat more carbs because that's what your body demands. So actually in hearing you, I actually think Stacy and I may be more aligned than we are different because I don't believe in keto and fasting every single day of the month and pushing it, which is when these two trends happened, that's what women did. And that's probably what Kate, what Stacy's responding to is the amount of women that just jumped on the fasting and keto train and just did it all month long and not, didn't take their adrenals into consideration, didn't take their cycle into consideration and that was hurt, hurtful to their bodies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's you're right. That's what I see now. He, hearing you as well, and and going through the book, it's gotta be. I think one thing you really did hit. Uh, you made a good point about was that we're all bio individual. We really like you just kind of give a guide. Like you know, this is what I'm seeing in my community. This is what the research says. This is generally, but we all have to. I think take responsibility of our right. own bodies and right. say if it's not working, if you feel bad, that's yep. fine. Just change something. Don't just keep going just because Dr. Mindy said or Zora said, or right. Dr. Stim said. Right. <laughs> so re- that's that's a really good good point. and and the and the ketobiotic diet it just, you know, just to get, I, I really like that you've modified that because I've at, when, in my health coaching days, I, I noticed the guys were doing great. The women were just like, Dying after the first week. You know, they just miss their fruits and their vegetables. And they did have some, you know, results in the beginning, but it just was too demanding. So we'd always kind of alter it. And and you had you create a perfect, perfect way because, you know, again, the studies that Dr. Stims pulls out, keto diets great on men, most of the research done on men, sedentary obese men, (laughs) great. The one thing she did say about keto diets for postmenopausal sedentary women, they did lose some weight. They had some improved insulin sensitivity and their mood was a bit better, but they had increases in cardiovascular risk factors and a decrease in their bone mineral density and not surprisingly, a reduction in the microbiome diversity, which Ooh. we need for a healthy gut. Well, because you pulled out all those vegetables. <laughs>
1: So on the microbiome issue, for everybody, when you hear people say that fasting destroys the microbiome, I want you to remember that fasting is only one side of the equation. What it does is it changes the terrain in your gut. And when you go back into food, you need to make sure you go back into foods that feed the microbiome. When you compare a good food diet that supports healthy microbiome with these fasts, that's the magic. But when we look at studies, we're just looking at the fasting studies and we're like, oh, the, the, it decimated the microbiome. But it didn't. It, in the fast, it changed it. It took down both the good and the bad. It changed the pH in there. It repaired the inner lining. It cr- created this geographical diversity where the micro microbes are more separated. They're not all clumped together. And so you could absorb your food better. So now feed those bacteria, create that new environment. It's like a clean slate for your microbiome. And then the other thing I would say is women, we have to, especially perimenopause and, and menopausal women, why I really introduced the ketobiotic version is that we have to remember that our gut breaks estrogen down. So if we go back to the example you just gave of sedentary post-menopausal women destroying their microbiome and affecting estrogen levels, well, again, what did they eat at when they weren't doing keto and fasting to feed their microbiome? What other strategies do they have for their microbiome? Because that plays a part in how estrogen is going to get broken and used by the body.
0: Usually it's not included in those studies as well, right? Right. They're just doing the fast. And that's, if I remember Dr. Longo, he said, you know, fasting is great or whatever, but it's the refeeding that's, more important than the actual
1: fast. I I would agree. In the new book, I actually, it's so important that I did a whole chapter on breaking your fast. And I, we have a bunch of recipes in there on, of small meals you could use to break your fast with. It's because to me, breaking the fast is as important as the length of the fast.
2: So
0: actually thinking about the, the the study or the research that shows that it's, you know, decreases your microbiome diversity in terms of keto or fasting, it seems to also suppress the immune system for a while, but then jumps back in, right. you know, into a better immune system. So it's kind of like, I think we need to remind people that it sounds horrible sometimes, you know, I think, well, if you just stop the study there, if you just only talk about the negative effects. well, Yeah, there are negative effects. Even Dr. Longo went through the whole caloric restriction, the, um, the, uh, biosphere project that was done with these people and, and then caloric restriction. They all just great numbers in the beginning. And then, then caloric restriction went on a little bit too fat far. far yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. suddenly their numbers tanked and all their, their biomarkers tanked. So, you know, you take something too far, obviously it's not good for you. So this is what we got hormesis, right? It's, you know, right. small stressors and small doses are great, but too long is that's not right. good for you. So in terms of the immune system, you know, that's something that some people think about if they want to reboot their immune system, what's, I guess, what's the minimal amount of time in terms of what's happening, I guess, to the immune system as you're, you're, you're fasting in terms of it gets lowered. And then when does it improve? And you know what are the little details and nuances with that?
1: So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of them. And one thing I want to go back to what you just said is that we have to remember with fasting studies that a lot of what we're seeing is the breaking down of the bad. So when we put somebody in these fasting windows, let's use Walter Longo's 72-hour fast. What he saw is on the third day, as we got closer to that 72-hour mark, old white blood cells were recycled out and new ones emerged. Okay, if he had stopped at that point where he just saw the old ones recycled out, he might've said, hey, you know what? It's just the old ones cycling, recycling out. But instead what he noticed is that there was a reboot of new ones emerging. So his 72 hour water fast is amazing and we don't have it specifically for women. I know he, I believe the study was done on both men and women going through cancer chemotherapy. That was originally what he did. In that one, we saw both sides of the equation. If we look at something like thyroid, this is a big one that shows up. When we look at all the thyroid studies, it says that T3 goes down in a fasted state. But if you don't go and look at the other studies that say what happens after you fast and you reintroduce food, T3 actually doubles and starts to go up. In order to answer the immune system question, we have to remember that in a fasted state, there's a bit of a catabolic reaction that's happening where the body is breaking down what is no longer serving it so that when we introduce food back in, That food does what it's supposed to do. Healthy food is medicine. So if you tack on a healthy diet to these different fasting windows, I put six of them in the book. I mean, this is where we're seeing the results. So it's not the fast alone. So I I really want to point that out because I'm getting exhausted with the number of, of people that are taking these studies as their hero. No, (laughs) you're the hero of your own health and you have to understand the other, what happened after the study was over. Yeah. So with that, here's what we know about the immune system. This was a mouse study done out of MIT that after 24 hours of fasting, there was a intestinal stem cells showed up and were repaired the microbiome. So that is a form of the immune system because the immune system is in a largely in our gut. And we have Volter's study that at 72 hours, we see the whole immune system reboot itself. We also have another interesting study that I reference in the book that at 48 hours, we not only get a reset of our dopamine system, but we start to get more anti-aging antioxidants that get spun off of the Krebs cycle. So things like NAD that people are going and getting massive NAD drips start to kick in at 48 hours of fasting. So for immune system, and oh, and the other study we have is that when the cells are in a state of autophagy, viruses don't replicate if they enter into a cell that is in a state of autophagy, that it shuts down viral replication. Hmm. So- All Anything from a 17-hour fast to a 72-hour fast is going to be an immune-enhancing fast for you. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, I do two three-day water fasts or longer a year to get rid of old senescent dysfunctional cells to reboot my immune system. I do 24-hour fasts weekly to be able to reboot my whole intestinal system. And I throw in a couple of 17-hour fasts a week. So I try to kind of vary it and lean into all different ones, depending on what aspect of the immune system I'm trying to affect.
0: Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Hack My Age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. Uh, you did a really great breakdown in the book as well, in terms of the different types of fasts, you had six of them and the lengths and what was the purpose? Like you talk a lot about what is your purpose? Is it to lose weight? Is it to feel your gut? Is it to get activate autophagy or, you know, so many, so many things. So I think when, when people read the book, the, it'll be really, really clear because when we say fasting, like, what does that even mean? It's like such what a, what does it mean? Right. Broad term, like you know, I'm I'm asleep and I wake up and yeah, I fasted, right? Yeah. So you do break it down really well. So I'd love to move on to the myths, truths, and myths. I had a whole list. Yeah, let's go for it uh, of truth and myths. And I I'd love to get through some of them before I open the mics for everybody else. So we'll go uh, maybe five or ten minutes with this. So you've already bu- busted some myths as well. I already you know that first half. But some people would say fasting is bad for your thyroid. We went through that. It suppressed it in the beginning, but obviously if you let it go, and I bet it has something to do with the foods that you eat, you reintroduce. Is that true or not? That's right.
1: Here's what destroys the thyroid hormones: calorie restriction. I am not advocating for calorie restriction on any of those six fasts. Of course, you're going to restrict your calories for three days after you fast, but I have a whole explanation of how to reintroduce food. And then you should feast after you've gone through the, that process. So let's not get caught in, 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 understanding that fat fasting is calorie restriction. It is time restriction. So what, with my thyroid people, what I say is go ahead and fast. And when you eat, eat, like, this is not a time you don't diet. Once you go in to <laughs> your fat, to your eating window. For anybody, but especially for the thyroid people, you really need to power up on food.
0: And I think it's that's a critical point that Dr. Sims would probably uh, really stress is it's when you more you fast, the easier it gets. Oddly enough. Right? right? You kind of get right. used to it. And you think, oh, just because something's good for me, I should do it again a longer or more or whatever. And that's not necessarily the case. And so especially I'm speaking to those women who are uh, uh, having weight loss resistance, who, who are struggling and who are exercising a lot and who are just trying to restrict the amount of food they eat. They go and try fasting and then they get into this really danger zone. So I really uh, want you to stress, and you as you did is you got to eat. Like if you're gonna fast, you right. really got to eat during those windows. Even if you know you you think you know I I I shouldn't be or whatever, just eat very healthy food. Obviously, it's gonna be really good for you. So the next one, the truth or myth, you'll lose muscle when you fast, and this is maybe where we can talk a bit about the protein that you wanted to make.
1: Okay, so the first thing, I, let's go with what the studies are showing. When we accumulate too much glucose and and insulin, because we're in an insulin resistant state and we have too many toxins, what our body does is it has to find a storage spot for the excess of all of those things. So there are three places it stores it in. It stores it in the liver, it stores it in fat, and it stores it in muscle. Those, especially glucose, that's where it's going to store all that excess. So when we are fasting, you're releasing those stores. So it does feel like from a muscle level, when you're in a fasted state, it does feel like, oh my God, my muscles are shrinking because you just released all the extra glucose that's in there from the fast. The longer the fast, the more your body's going to pull glucose from burning fat from the liver and from muscle. Now, here's the key. What are you going to add back in when you break your fast? And I really believe for women, it needs to be protein that first meal. If you're going to go into autophagy in a fast saying 17 hours ish, let's say then you work out in that fasted state. You've now really asked your muscles to be able to release glucose. Now, when you get home from that workout, you've pushed the muscle, you've broken the muscle down from your workout power up on protein. And now you've gone into something called mTOR. And there is a amino acid sensor in our muscles that stimulate mTOR and growth within the muscle. And in order to trigger that amino acid, you have to have 30 grams of protein. So that first meal has to be 30 grams of protein. Now, the only other way around that scenario is that we're really experimenting with is having people do amino acid drinks in their fasting window. So put some amino acid powder into your fasting window. If you're worried that your muscles are going to break down too much, go into your workout with powered up with aminos, push those muscles and then come out and eat more protein. So really the reason to eat protein is for the amino acids. And the reason that muscles grow is because of the amino acids. Mm. There are some hacks to that. There's something called protein cycling that I write about in the book. So I think that again, we can't go to absolutes. It may appear that it shrinks while you're working out, but what are you doing after you work out? What are you doing after you fast? Those are really critical questions.
0: And just so people know as well, you lay out in the book, different types of fasts, and and it seems like the longer ones sort of gently ease into it as well, depending on the fast. So let's, you know, everyone who's listening to this, there's many ways, and you just have to read the book. Don't just take this one one uh, example. I'm wondering if that's why Dr. Longo put in the prolon, his fasting mimicking diet's a package that you buy, and it's got a bunch of bars and nuts and olives and things, very little, and soups. And, uh, and that just so people understand, I don't know if they even know what the fasting mimicking diet. diet's a five day fast, but with food. So it's to mimic a fast. Sometimes I think it's harder to do that than an actual harder. fast because you're actually activating hunger. Glucose.
1: Yeah. You're bringing glucose. So you don't fully get over into the fat burning system. So I agree. It's a yeah. lot harder.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, th- I mean, again, I think his, his audience is something else, you know, his He's trying to convince people who are have cancer in a hospital to do a fast and and no one is going to go with that. So this was an option to try to convince those doctors and say, okay, let's try that. It's a bit more of a caloric restriction than an actual fast, but whatever his science has shown that it does act, you know, you get into this fasted state, but, but anyways, you know, even with some of the soups, if you wore a blood glucose monitor, have you ever your during the fast? Do,
1: uh, I haven't glucose? done it during prolon, but those soups and the bars, the bars, I was like, this has honey in it. My yeah. gosh. So I never felt, I was hungry the whole week where as a whole five days, whereas if you just put, give me water fast within, you know, 24 hours, I'm not hungry. So
0: it's crazy. But if I've had some clients where the glucose monitor and with the soups, their blood sugar just spikes. And, uh, and, and I think it's because the rice flour or trying to figure that out. another person was bloated, I think because of the inulin and the inulin. You know, there's yeah. things like, again, you know, some people love it. Some people, some people, not so much, but anyways, so I think he put in glycine. We had to drink, remember we have to drink, uh, something to yep. preserve the muscle, right?
1: Yep. And glycine it repairs the gut. So it's also helpful for the gut lining. So, um, it, it also had a little, it was sweet. It had a little glucose in it, I believe too. So, (laughs) um, you know, my understanding on Volter was that he was really looking for, after he came out of his water study and he saw what it could do for cancer, the white blood cells, he was like, well, how, what else can we apply here? But I don't think everybody's going to go on a three-day water fast. So what he did is he took principles of fasting and put it together and fast mimicking and what they're trying to do with that is really interesting because they are trying to get it into hospitals as a version of hospital food, which would be amazing. Yeah. But for the layperson, water fasting is a lot easier.
0: Yeah, it, it, well, it's it is free too. On top yeah, of it, free. it's just yeah. I think his positioning is for a certain purpose, and I think it's certainly better than the hospital food you get. And it would be, uh, you know, because you know people argue as well. Well, ProLon is also a bunch of um, you know, processed foods. You know, <laughs> other than like the the olives or something, but it's still better than I think what you'd get in the hospital, and it's still a better choice. And if that helps, uh, certainly you know it's it's worth a try. So, okay. If you're going to fast, depending on the fast, uh, don't worry about the muscle loss, uh, take a little bit of glycine amino, sorry, amino acids. Um, and then you should be good to go. What about truth or myth? Your metabolism will slow down.
1: <laughs> yes. A hundred percent myth. So this idea that six meals a day raises our metabolism, that is such a such a a false belief that we've all bought into. I even went through that. (laughs) Me too. So the easiest way to understand this is that you have two versions of metabolism, one that works off of the food you eat and one that works when you're fasting. When you're eating six meals a day, you never go over to the fat burning system. You're only manipulating the energy burning, the blood sugar system there's no proof. I mean, the other thing to think about is that if six meals a day sped up our metabolism, why do we have an obesity problem? Why is (laughs) obesity getting worse? So why fasting is working so well and people are getting permanent weight loss results is because you're switching over into a whole different way to burn energy. And it comes from burning your fat. It's a total myth.
0: So, okay. I'm going to stop here because I've caught like 20 other questions and I know we're not going to get through them. And I don't want to hog the mic as I always do want to give other people here a chance to, to speak or to share your thoughts.
3: So I've been intermittent fasting for a little over three years now. Um, last month, I started following some of the principles from your fasting cycle. I was taking some of your courses at the Reset Academy, and all the information just makes so much sense. So I'm really intrigued in in applying them to my life and seeing if they really work um, for me. So a few days ago, I did my first 24-hour fast, and it felt incredible. Um, Now, my question is on muscle gain, fasting, and food intake. So before I started, or before I got introduced to your fasting cycle principles, I was doing anywhere from 80 to 110 grams of protein a day. And from your fasting cycle, most days are kept at 50 grams a day. So my question is, would I be able to continue building muscle um, if I keep my protein intake 50 grams a day most of the time during my cycle, except for ovulation, where you recommend really upping that uh, protein intake to to take advantage of of testosterone. So that's one of my questions. Um, And my second question is, do you recommend following the whole cycle month after month or is it something we should do just to get our hormones in check? And then once we have everything in check, can we play around with it a little bit? Say if I wanna do the 17 hour fast, uh, but then during my eating window, Um, do not not keep you know protein at 20 grams and be able to up that intake a little bit is that something we can do or would would we would I be failing to get all the benefits from that kind of fast
1: great questions I I love that you know what the fasting cycle is and it's part of
3: I'm so into it
1: (laughs) yeah it's such a fun tool we actually are coming out with an app um, that will have the fasting cycle yeah it'll be ready when the book is out so that you could go in and you can put your day of your cycle and it will tell you what fast and food is available to you. The first version will have pretty much the principles of the book. The second version will go into supplements and exercise and when to do a cold plunge, when to do like all of that's going to be timed. So super cool on the protein thing. This was something I really debated when I wrote the book is what is the, the best protein amount for women? And there's a lot of evidence saying we need one gram of protein for every pound of our body weight. And I would say based off the research I'm seeing, based off of living in a woman's body, based off of the people that I've worked with, is that there is some truth to that. But what we can't do is we cannot take in more than 90 grams of protein at one sitting. If we go above 90, it gets turned into glucose and turned to fat. So, the challenge with the protein macro is that that can happen and protein can raise your blood sugar, which will pull you, you know, start to affect things like weight loss. So, if you are trying to lose weight, I strongly stick with my 50 grams in keto uh, or 75 grams in ketobiotic. I'm trying to remember on the hormone feasting, I think I kept it close to 75, too. I think that's a good number if you're trying to lose weight. Once you're at your weight, like where you want to be, then I think you need to start to think about increasing the protein macro. I think you need to think about bringing it closer to 100, maybe even 150. Now, if you combine 100, let's say you're a 130-pound woman and you're combining that with a fasting window of 15 hours, your best bet is to divvy up that 130 Grams of protein, divvy it up into to, into small meals every couple of hours. Eat a more, pro, uh, uh, you know, thirty grams of protein, and then a couple hours later, another thirty grams. If you do that four times in your eating window, then you're getting all your protein requirements, and you're getting the benefits of fasting. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to approach it. The other way is to, if you're like, I'm not going to get all that protein in my eating window, do the amino acid solution. Take aminos in in a drink. If you are concerned about you know, going in in a fasted state in, um, with a workout, take some aminos in a drink so you're powered up and you're getting that because really protein's about that amino acid. Does that help clarify a little yeah. bit for you? Yeah,
3: perfect. One thing that I did notice when I was doing the longer fast, so anything after 17 hours, was that because I started tracking? I don't track my calories. I, I've never done that, but I started doing it because I just, you know, I wanted to have a clear picture and everything. And I did notice that I, even though I hit the macros, my calorie intake was, was very low. Like I got to maybe a a thousand one hundred, a thousand two hundred 1, calories a day. And I work out every single day, at least a couple of hours. I do yoga. I do my Training my regular training. Um, so I was concerned, is that calorie intake too low? Um, and is it something that we really need to worry about? Because I've been reading a lot that calories aren't that important after all, if you're eating the right foods and, you know, really nourishing your body.
1: I'm smiling because it's got to be so confusing for for. The- <laughs> Or lay people, like we show up and we're like, it's absolutely this. And this is why I'm trying to teach a system that you can apply and, and make it your own. So on the, on the day that you noticed less calories, how do you know how much protein you had that day? Because I would say of the three macros, protein is the hero. Protein's the one you want to lean into. Everybody thinks to get into the fat burning state, to get into keto, you have to up your, your fat. I'm, I, I disagree. I think you want to up your protein, especially for women. And mm-hmm. when you do that, your calorie co- uh, amount will go- get higher.
3: Cool. Yeah. So I did 50 grams of protein, 50 carbs, and then it, 60%, which I didn't hit. I did like 46% from good fats.
1: For you, I would say, which would, would also lean into the next to answer your second question for you, I would say, start increasing your protein, even on keto days. What I've noticed is that with people who wear a CGM, I don't know if you've put a CGM on, but the, the more you learn metabolic switching, where you can go from sugar burner to fat burner, the more those macros will be different, have a different reaction in your body. And what I'm seeing is when people are very metabolically flexible, when they eat protein or fat, their blood sugar stays the same or it dips, which is amazing. But when we first come to fasting, if we've been doing a lot of the wrong oils, we've been eating more processed carbs, you eat protein and protein will spike glucose. Mm -hmm. But once those mitochondria are healthy, once you're metabolically flexible, Protein actually is a stabilizer of the blood sugar and lets up that macro. In the book, I gave very individual macros. So, because I'm writing to a big audience, but for you, I would say you're now at a point where you can increase it. And that leads to the second question, which was in the book, I left two, two different formulas. I left the fasting cycle where you could choose your length fast. You can choose your, more of the foods. And then I have the 30 day fasting reset where you can just follow day by day. For somebody who's as experienced as you, I would say, you know, once you know your rhythm, like, you know what it feels like on day seven, you know, that when you move into ovulation that you need to eat more vegetables, you know, that you're going to be more carb craving the week before your period, there becomes a flexibility with all these tools and you stop counting macros, you stop looking at your ketone monitor, your CGM, and you just enjoy the fact that you're a woman that has these three incredible hormones that come in And so you need to ebb and flow your diet and your workouts and your fasting with these incredible superpowers we've been getting.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Paulina. so you are part of Mindy's program, right? You've you've gotten to the Resetter program.
3: I discovered you on Instagram maybe like three months ago. And I went to the Reset Academy and I've done like three of your courses already. I'm planning on doing every single one of them. Awesome. Um, So yeah. I had PCOS when I was, since I was 15, insulin resistance, and then I kept going to doctors and they just failed to help me out. So I started my own journey and, and studying on my own. And I've managed to, you know, get a completely healthy life now on my own, which is super interesting.
1: PCOS is all over my book. I just, it's funny cause I just read the audible and I was like, I didn't realize how many times I said PCOS. So <laughs> Yeah, in the new year, we're actually going to take that 30-day fasting reset, and we're going to do it as a group in the academy to make sure people have it mastered. But you're living example. We have to know when to pull out the different tools, and that has to be timed to our hormones, and you're doing it. So congrats.
0: Thank you. Oh, I love to hear that. Definitely, anyone who's considering the the Resetter program, I guess you could give it a two thumbs up, Paulina, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. 10 thumbs up. (laughs) 10. Thank you. Wonderful.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
2: I am following intermittent fasting since ever, but you know, in the past, we didn't know what this word means. So now I know perfectly and I know that it's helping me that I feel great. I'm 57 and um, <laughs> I'm never planning anything, but I will eat uh, when I will start with the fast, when I will stop. I just know that after lunch, My body doesn't need any more else. It just needs, you know, to proceed this food, to recover after it. And in the morning, I start with my breakfast. And since I follow you, I changed my porridges for the protein meals. Actually, what did I notice? Maybe that I have maybe more, that I'm more strong in fitness because I go from Monday to Friday every day. And after my training, I have a lunch and then I stop. Now, I don't know if is this good or not. My intermittent fasting uh, lasts, let me say, 16-8, 18-6 8, or 24. It depends on my, my schedules, you know, during the day. And But anyway, I always feel fine you said before maybe that we should change this you know (laughs) i don't know if i'm doing okay or not but my body feels great on the other hand you mentioned before all these hormones and because i'm in menopause already for six years i'm adding identical hormones so my question would be um what does it mean if we are intermittent fast every day and we are already in menopause for several years and um we are adding bioidenticals, so the levels of estrogen, progesterone and testosterone is very great in my case. My gynecologist confirmed it, it can't be better, it's much better than it was, I don't know, 10 years ago when I was not menopausal yet. So this would be my question, if we are adding bi-identicals, how then body reacts, also thyroid, I'm adding uh, t so that's my question. Thank you so much to Yeah,
1: no, it's a great question. So, and it's something that we haven't addressed on the on this t- uh, call yet, and I think it's important for the postmenopausal women to hear. So, you still have to take all three hormones into consideration. So, the way that you're going about it right now is you're doing a great job of helping estrogen, and probably a really good job of helping testosterone but what are you doing for progesterone? And so the way I interpret what you just said to me is that you, I would call you an expert faster. You have a good foundation of fasting. You're it's so when you do a 15 hour fast or a 17 hour fast, it doesn't spike cortisol because your body's used to it now. So there, there is a little nuance there. Now, having said that, you still need glucose to be high on certain days to make progesterone. So even though the bioidenticals are there helping support progesterone, let's, I mean, ultimately we want to use your lifestyle as a tool to make sure that we're facilitating the best, uh, the best production of these hormones. So uh, you could do one of two things, one day a week, you just don't fast and you step into more of what I call hormone feasting foods. Get, make sure you're not going into ketosis. Make sure that you're doing more of the higher, like the root vegetables, the potatoes, the sweet potatoes, beans, citrus fruit, tropical fruits. I, I list them all out in the book. So you need to have a hormone feasting day. Now you can choose to do that day with or without a fast. And I'm only saying that to you because you are an expert faster. So if 15 hours is like so easy, it's not spiking cortisol. So just make sure that when you go into food, you're increasing glucose on that day, at least one day a week, maybe even two days a week. For the women listening to this that are the same age as you, that are also post-menopausal and they're new to fasting, I say one to two days a week, no fasting. And we need to step into the hormone-feasting foods. But once you become fat adapted, a small little intermittent fasting, 13 to 15 hours combined with the hormone-feasting foods will keep your progesterone levels, combined with bioidenticals, that will keep your progesterone levels where you want them to be.
2: Thank you so, so much for this answer because, you know, I was a little bit afraid. Maybe I'm just fasting too much, but now, okay, with this answer and I know I do the right thing because actually my body feels great and I don't want to change anything because why should I change if I really feel the best, you know? So now I'm happy with the answer. Thank you so much.
1: The other thing I would say is make sure you listen to your body because like I can tell you as a 53-year-old woman. I was 160 days into no cycle. This was recently. And then two weeks ago, I got my cycle again. But here's what happened. The week before I got it, all of a sudden I was waking up and I'm like, I'm famished. Why am I so hungry? And my brain translated that into, oh, I need progesterone. So I stepped out of fasting. I ate, I'm ate. i a huge sweet potato fan. I ate a ton of sweet potatoes. I came in with all the root vegetables. I did hormone feasting for a week and boom, my period came. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting that progesterone was knocking and I listened to her and there was another cycle to be had. So make sure if you wake up one morning and you're hungry, that may be progesterone telling you, I need a little more fuel today.
0: That was exactly what happened to me like five days ago, and I was just at that point of reading your book about feeding the progesterone, supporting progesterone. So for two days, and I, my period was late. I'm like, huh, okay, maybe this is menopause coming. And right? then I ate the potatoes, and I had a bit of quinoa, and for the for two two three days, boom, my period started. I was like, I can't believe that. <laughs>
1: It's crazy. I think the hardest group for me to teach it are the perimenopausal women. So we have to get to know the characteristics of these three hormones. When estrogen is like coming in in full force for me, I can fast, like I can almost go all day and just be like, whatever, was I supposed to eat today? But when (laughs) progesterone comes in, she's like, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I need carbs like now. And so we have to learn to read those symptoms. It's just a little more, a little more navigating.
4: Great. I don't really have a question because it's, I'm the same as Magdalena. I'm actually, I'm 34, but it's like, I'm, I'm fasting already all my life. Just like that. I didn't know before that I'm, a, I'm actually fasting. <laughs> I did an Ironman, a half Ironman at Kona, and I was following Dr. Sims' advices. And I think she has really good advices for when you are like doing triathlons and like heavy sport. But after that, I had huge problems like uh, putting down my weight (laughs) because I gained like a lot of muscle mass and everything. And um, once I started fasting, it's like the drop weight was like in a minute, I would say. So I think it's really like, Like fasting is a magical tool. I'm also a nutritionist and personal trainer. And it's like, I'm also teaching my clients how to fast correctly. And I'm seeing like a lot of results, good ones. And, um, but you are saying, I think it's so, so, so important what you are saying that one week before the period that you eat, (laughs) you know, that you are not. And I'm also saying that it's like fasting is not like counting calories you need to eat that's very important. I think that in, I, and I love everything that you are teaching and I completely agree with you. So I think maybe like Dr. Stacy Sims is more for like people who are really like heavy sporters, you know, triathlons and during marathons and everything. And I think your knowledge is so important for everyday people who do like normal kind of sports, let's say, (laughs) I agree with you that fasting is a miracle, but we just need to do it correctly. I think that's
0: important.
1: Your story brings up a really good point. So thank you for sharing it. We can both be right. I agree like that. You know, I'm not trying to train for triathlons right now. That is not what, and so my teachings don't reflect that. So her, her strategies may be amazing for that. But I'm trying to teach great hormonal health, how to keep your weight at a good spot. So to your point, you could use both of the principles. You just need to know when to pull them out. When I was
4: doing triathlons, I was following her advices and her
1: book. But it's like when
4: I'm now, now like normal doing no sports and having normal life, I'm following your advices. And I think that's the right combination. So interesting,
3: right? <laughs> at the end of the day, I think that even if you're, you know, a, a full-on athlete, you should still be able to do that switch between being a sugar burner and a fat burner. That's for sure, yes. And what I've seen from my experience is that the more I try to follow the principles of the prehistoric man, that's what best works for us. And it just, it makes sense. You know, over so many million years, we evolved as that kind of, with that lifestyle. And it's been only the last, whatever, 300 years that we've been having all these changes in our lifestyle and foods. And it makes sense that we're more compatible with what has been going on for a million, for million years than only the last few 300, 500 years, whatever. So yeah, super interesting. There's so much to talk about.
1: One of the concepts I wrote about in the book that when I was researching it, doesn't get discussed enough is what they call the thrifty gene hypothesis. That they believe that in the, our primal days, the humans that were able to survive going without food for so many days, actually genetically ha- they had a gene that turned on in the absence of food that made them stronger. And so mm-hmm. they survived. The ones that didn't have that gene died that gene is in our human body now today. So when we're eating all day, we're actually going against our genetic makeup. But then, you know, if you look at like Stacy's ideas around training, okay, you could dip into that for a little while and then come back and dip back into the fasting cycle the way I teach it. So I really love this conversation because this is what I'm advocating for is us understanding our own bodies and when to pull which tool out And what we've done in the diet culture and the nutrition culture is we've gotten really dogmatic. And we've said, this is the way, this is the only way. Now, maybe for a man's body, but not for a woman's body. And then in a woman's body, we can't even say this is the absolute way for every woman. So what I'm trying to do is teach women to understand themselves and know when to pull these tools out.
4: And it also depends really, it depends so much I see it on my clients, if they need to lose weight or if they are burnout, this is like two completely different kinds of stories, you know, like we said, I totally mean, fasting is also a stress yep. for the body. So, you know, and if, if somebody is trying to lose weight, great. But if somebody is burnout, I think they should be careful with fasting. So excellent. Well
0: said. Well, thank you so much. Everyone has been having such great questions and contributions. I think the big takeaway here is to know your body, get to know yourself, play around with different modalities. And there's not one size fits all. And I think that's what Dr. Mindy Peltz has explained in the book really, really well. And so if you are an exercise enthusiast or athletic, you know, again, it's gotta be, you can get to that point where you are constantly feeding and maybe feeding too much and you do need a break. And that's where maybe fasting can come in. Or if you're certainly not eating enough calories and you're not getting in enough food, well, you know, that's maybe take a break with the fasting, you know, there, you know, you're going to still go to sleep. So there will still be a fasting window, whether you like it or not, because you should be sleeping and (laughs) rebuilding your body. I think this has been a really great conversation be- that needed to be had. There's too much confusion, and women, of course, are very confused and we're a different being altogether. So remember that everything that you're hearing in the health studies and this health world may or may not apply to you. But I think Dr. Mindy's done it really well. She's got her own mega experiment going on right now, ongoing, continuing with her fasting, you know, resetter group. She's seen thousands of women go through it. The studies just haven't been done, but I think this is as close as we're going to get right now. If you want to get the book, you can pre-order it. I think this podcast is going to release only a a day or two before the book is out. Yeah, so you great. can go to fastlikeagirl.com forward slash pre-order. You can always find Dr. Mindy Pels on Instagram. It's dr.mindypels, Facebook and YouTube, similar things. I'll have the links in the show notes. It'll all be here. Is there anything else I missed? Any last words, Dr. Mindy, before we let you go?
1: No, I really loved this conversation. I, I, I go on a lot of interviews, and I have to say, Zora, I really love this and thank you to you gals that jumped in and gave your feedback because I, I agree. I am on an ongoing experiment and I and I want the feedback to hear from people. Um, the next book that I am um, going to be tackling is Mental Health for Women over 40 and what happens to our hormones and neurotransmitters. So one of the, one of the things we've done is just really listen to women and hear their experiences. So, um, yeah, I loved this conversation. So thank you for, for facilitating it. It was great. Where can
0: people get a part of your, uh, Facebook group The the fast,
1: I can't remember the exact name of the fasting resetters or resetter. Yeah. So I'll tell you a couple of, yeah, it's a couple of places. So we have a free fasting group on Facebook. It's called the Resetter Collaborative. Yes. A lot of great resources in there. A lot of people, a lot of fasting experts, but most of every, I have admins in there that make sure that we keep it really consistent with my teachings. Um, if you need more help with fasting, like how to customize it for you, I have my Reset Academy, which has been amazing. I lead classes. We do so much. We do monthly experiences. It's a ton of fun. Since this will come out two days before the book, we are joining forces with Hay House. And we are doing uh, a three-day water fast the first week in June As a for anybody who purchases the book. I'll be leading women. Men will probably join it as well. Through a three day water fast. So, if you're looking for something to do in the new year, you're kind of curious how to do a a water fast, stay tuned for information on that.
0: So, January, I think you said June.
1: Oh, sorry, January. Yes.
0: Okay. January. I was like, oh. Thank you for
1: pointing out. No, it'll be January 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Oh, my goodness. Perfect timing. I think everybody will be ready for a fast. Yeah, if you want to do a three-day water fast and be guided through it, and we, I'm going to give options for people who maybe only want to go a day or two days, we'll talk about that. But um, stay tuned for information on that.
0: Probably a good idea. I I, mean, I really would like to do that, and I I'm going to try. And but I probably shouldn't be exercising during those three days. Is that correct?
1: Never exercise during a three-day water fast. That is an absolute no. Anything over 24 hours is a no exercise because, to Stacy's point, it's stress upon stress.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I, everybody has, you've cleared out so much confusion. I really appreciate you. I'm going to have you on if you can, when you get that new book out, every time a new book comes out, you just got to come on because.
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> thank you. Well, the new one will be out October 24. Uh, so it, we got a few years, but oh, yes, good. thank you. I would love to come, come on when that one comes out.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, everybody who's been listening, who is here. Thank you, Dr. Mindy, for your time. And we will see you hopefully again. Have a good day, good night, good morning, wherever you are. at. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.